Well, I think 12 to 18 months is a very interesting timeline. I think that's going to be around where the market bottoms. So I think we're in the early innings of, I know prices have come down a lot uh, and people are citing discounts as an exciting reason to buy today. Oh, well, this deal is 20% less than what it was worth a year ago or a year and a half ago. But unfortunately, that is at this moment in time, not often enough of a discount to really justify a good buy in our opinion. Hey there, I am Dr. Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast, where we explore the why behind success. Every week, I meet with real estate investors, veterinary entrepreneurs, mindset coaches, authors, and fitness professionals to uncover their why and how it drives them on the winding road to success. What is your why? Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Rob Beardsley. Rob oversees acquisitions and capital markets for Lone Star Capital. He's acquired over $350 million of multifamily properties uh, and he's evaluated thousands of properties using his proprietary underwriting models and has sold 10,000 copies of his book, The Definitive Guide to Underwriting Multifamily Acquisitions. Um, Rob, thanks for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. I appreciate you taking your time out. My pleasure. Can we start just with kind of hearing your story, your background, how you got into real estate, um, and then we'll kind of dive in from there? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually grew up in a real estate family back in Silicon Valley, California. My parents ran a residential brokerage firm from home. Uh, so I was exposed to real estate at a very young age and was kind of around the business, but I didn't have a particular interest or passion around real estate. I was actually more so interested in tech because I grew up in Silicon Valley and my parents pushed me towards going and making a lot of money in a startup rather than doing uh, working really hard in real estate. They thought real estate was kind of like a boring get rich slow. And my parents worked really hard for commission checks, but never really turned those commission checks into long-term wealth or equity uh, through their real estate ventures. They focused on fix and flips and buying and selling luxury homes for their clients. So it wasn't until I was in college studying computer science that I kind of caught the real estate bug and started researching multifamily specifically, not single family. And multifamily, as you know, has a much uh, better business model that is more conducive towards long-term wealth and cash flow, as well as more of an institutionally, it's 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 better for scaling on an institutional level. Sure. So that all really resonated with me much more than what I was familiar with on the single family side. So I ended up starting my company, Lone Star Capital, with my business partner, Kent. And uh, he was a tax attorney at, at the time with you know full-time day job. And I was a student uh, at, at university. I dropped out. He left his job and we started acquiring property together and raising capital with investors. And then fast forward uh, about almost six years later to today, like you mentioned, we we have nearly half a billion dollars in assets under management. And, you know, we've, we've scaled up to really building out that vision, which is a an institutional operating platform where we can, uh, you know, invest our own capital, invest capital on behalf of our investors, and really run a very tight ship. Yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it, it, in a in a quick nutshell, you describe uh, what has I'm sure been a lot of work and 
uh, obviously a lot of success over uh, in a relatively short period of time. Interestingly, you know, kind of coming from a, a real estate family background, but but not the same. And you touched on some of the the differences between you know multifamily and how what your parents were doing wasn't necessarily attractive to you, but then you know real estate in a different way was. And I I wanted to kind of touch on you know what what those differences were to you. You mentioned scaling, I guess, from a being a broker's perspective or doing fix and flips, those sorts of things are a lot more transactional and, and pe people make good money doing it. Like it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't necessarily uh, push you towards a, a portfolio of, of passive income. What's your, I guess, why, why didn't you like what they were doing? You know, kind of what, what pushed you in the other direction? Well, I think it's the, the fundamental paradigm that one comes from typically when you're investing in single family or not even investing at all, but just like you said, working in a transactional capacity versus actually building equity. And it's all about long-term thought process and delayed gratification. And the problem that my parents were in, they were caught in that middle-class trap of uh, running their own business, having high income, but then having high expenses. And then also, not that this makes them wrong or bad, but having uh, expensive, uh, you know, home and children and trying to raise a family. I mean, we're all trying to, to have good lives, right? So that rut, if you will, prevented them from thinking long term and thinking about, well, I can invest for tomorrow, I won't really see any money today from it, I'm actually going to take money away today in order to see more tomorrow it's very very difficult paradigm to get yourself into and i remember asking my dad oh why don't you invest and own this rental and he said i, I can't afford to right i can't afford to make this investment i i need the money today and so that's a trap that unfortunately most people find themselves in or at least they mentally find themselves in and it's a very difficult task to break out of it so i was very very fortunate to be able to stand on their shoulders and build from a very strong foundation and be able to kind of cut the line and go and have the luxury to think long term and go, you know what, I'm actually willing to work and maybe not make any money for a handful of years, and then know that it's going to compound into something much, much bigger than what otherwise would if I were to chase the money today. So I think that's the fundamental difference. I mean, at the end of the day, when you're talking about single family versus multifamily, it's just one to many. It's actually quite similar, but it's more so the thought behind it and the paradigm. Yeah. And I think that that's, uh, you know, wh whether you're uh, in, in real estate as a broker or doing whatever it is, that that same mentality, mindset, whatever you want to say, is the same thing that like a lot of people in 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 their jobs, you know, they're kind of get in and they they do a lot to build themselves, build themselves up with success. And then they're, they have that lifestyle creep and it's just kind of, you get stuck in that trap that you talked about. And I, I think that um, it's, it's very interesting to hear, I, I don't know, I guess in some ways, maybe we all rebel against our parents, but it's kind of funny to hear that you sort of figured that out at, at obviously a young age um, and they wanted you to to go into tech and <laughs> make a lot of money in tech startup, which is is maybe in theory a lot riskier than what you actually 
did go ahead and do, but that delayed gratification and the paradigm shift of, hey, I'm going to do this, but I know in the long term, this is going to going to work out is something that I think whether you're actively or, or passively investing is an important shift to make. Um, as you, so how would you describe, you know, sort of the, the early years of getting into multifamily and, and kind of, you know, you mentioned work for a number of years without making a lot of money. And I, I think that's, that's true. I can sort of echo that um, sentiment. Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, how, how you, came to grips with that how you've managed it and then and then why why do you see that as being you know the way to go what like in the in what's your vision over over long term yeah well to your point that you mentioned as far as a startup could actually be i mean it is very risky uh, much less likely to succeed and for me that doesn't resonate so i am in some ways risk averse and in some ways i'm tolerant of risk and so the ways in which I'm risk averse is I, I really do like a sure thing. I don't want to invest a lot of effort into a vision and then have it not pan out. So I really look at a journey in real estate as a get rich for sure journey. And it's not a get rich quick, but it's a get rich for sure. And that resonates with me a lot. Uh, and starting young, having the luxury of time, it's a much easier proposition to buy into that journey yeah. you know because you know you have the time so that's uh, that is my thought process to give a specific example i remember us really struggling on our first deal to raise the capital because my business partner and i both never raised money before and we completely underestimated how difficult it is to raise money especially when you have no track record and a limited network but we figured, oh, well, we'll find a good deal and we'll surely we'll be able to convince people to invest in a good deal. How hard would that be? But of course, we found ourselves really struggling to raise the money. And that was a trying experience to get all those no's and really struggle and have to give away a lot more piece of the pie than we had anticipated. You know, as you can understand, people see us as as first timers and they want to extract better economics if they're going to take a gamble with us you know so we were giving discounts on fees and we were giving up shares of our ownership which is all very valid and i don't regret any of it at all and to the contrary actually i remember uh, thinking to myself but also explicitly my dad telling me that you should be happy if you close this deal and actually have to pay money to close the deal because it's such valuable experience and will build your track record for the future. So that was kind of the concrete example of the mindset that I was in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, that's a great piece of advice, you know, for, for anyone starting out that first deal is, it might cost you a little bit money. You might not make any money, but like the reality is, is, is you're, you're trying to get in the game get get the education essentially it's you know if you don't make money it's because you're you're paying for the education and and move forward that way and and that's why it has to be a long-term vision and I, and I think I love that you said I like you know I like the guaranteed thing and then talk about real estate because so many people outside of the space think it's this huge risk and like those of us that are in it and, and have kind of 
realized the the potential it's like it's exactly that it, it is a get rich for sure just slowly right it's just it's just going to take time but it's going to happen and you just have to believe that and kind of keep going and that's you know you, you don't you don't necessarily want to listen to the person who you know got lucky and and made a ton of money in in you know the first six months or eight months 18 months or something like that what you want to look at is people like yourself that you know you're six years in now you're at almost a half a billion dollars on assets under management like the people that are that are doing this long term and and then starting to realize the benefits because it is it is uh really just the velocity the velocity of money over time and you know you mentioned at a young age you're able to take advantage of that and and maybe not push as hard i when i talk to investors i get super fired up when i talk to people that are young because i'm i know i started in my 40s and i'm like if i had started 20 years before that like the advantage that you have just in the time of or just in the factor of time right? If we're expecting our money in these investments to go to double every five to seven years, like that's, that's four doublings in 20 years. So it's just kind of, I think people not understanding that uh, the value of, of the time of that money invested. <clears throat> you wrote the book. Uh, I've read the book. I've used it. I think it's great. I think it's a really um, like very tactical, right? It's just like, here, I sit down with this. I've, I've seen your underwriting model. I've used it like it all, all goes together well. What what was kind of the driving force behind deciding to do that? Because it, I mean, I think sounds like your, if your background, what you went to school for was tech, then how did you get yourself, grow your expertise in underwriting and, and you know, sort of uh, develop that as something that you were an expert enough to write a book about? Well, I somewhat stumbled into writing the book. I didn't have a master plan. What happened was when I first got into the business, I looked around for a resource similar to it to become an expert in underwriting, and I didn't find anything. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was a bit strange to not have some sort of resource like this available in the market. So I told myself that I would set out on my journey to become an expert and build up my understanding of underwriting, which for those listening that aren't familiar with what underwriting is, it's just the financial analysis of an acquisition. It could be real estate, could be private equity company or something. Um, so at, over the couple of years that I really learned and underwrote hundreds of deals to build up my expertise, that's when I turned around and actually sat down and wrote the book. And it was very easy to write because like you said, it's very tactical and it's just a simple, not maybe not too simple, but just a straightforward walkthrough of our underwriting process, line by line, step by step. And it, it filled a gap in the market that didn't previously exist, which is why it has been so much more successful than I ever anticipated. I didn't have any sale goals or anything like that, uh, but it's been very well received and has built our, our network really, really well. So I'm very appreciative of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it is, I mean, definitely there was... <laughs> It's interesting to me. There is there is no other book on underwriting. Like it's it's a very weird thing that there's so with with books being sort of the new business card. It it's odd mm -hmm. to me that that that's the yours is the only one. Like literally, I have seen no others. And there's you know 
10 books on multifamily investing and there's 10 books on being a passive invest. You know, there's all this other stuff that there's multiple books on, but it really is the only, the only one that I've seen anyway, have any knowledge of. Um, and it is, you can sit down with it and, and use it as, you know, sort of almost the instruction manual for, for underwriting. And, uh, so, I mean, it's great that, that you did that. Um, you, I think used to do underwriting for other people. Is that, is that correct? That was sort of yeah. part of your, uh, part of your business, I guess. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and that, that's actually how I heard about you from one of my mentors. I think you used to do some underwriting with her for her. Um, but so what do you do now? Kind of what, what's your focus in the business? Uh, you've grown a lot. I, I, you know, we've talked a lot about on this podcast that you can't do everything. So what, it, what is your kind of lane? What if, are you still underwriting or have you moved to uh, more of a capital raising role or, or maybe you are still doing it all? I, I'm, not, I'm just interested. Yeah. So at this point in time, my main focus is on still overseeing the acquisitions process, uh, but we have a, a great team that does the heavy lifting there. So I just spot check numbers and just look at the high level details of the underwriting and then I'm involved in advising and overseeing and and actually negotiating uh, the terms of of acquisitions. And then on the capital market side, I'm also involved on the on the debt because obviously we all know how critical debt is to the underwriting to the business plan and everything tying together. And then, of course, the big eight hundred pound gorilla is equity. So uh, raising equity is a a big job, and so we spend a lot of time. Uh, talking with new investors, with our existing investors, talking about new deals and existing deals. So uh, as you well know, that is a full-time job. Yeah, for sure. I, that, that's a, spend a lot of time on the, on the phone or email that way, Zoom calls, that sort of thing. Where do you see, I know nobody knows this for sure, where do you see the next, uh, since there's a lot of talk about this, the next, you know, 6, 12, 18 months shaking out in the in the market? Well, I think 12 to 18 months is a very interesting timeline. I think that's going to be around where the market bottoms. So I think we're in the early innings of, I know the prices have come down a lot uh, and people are citing discounts as an exciting reason to buy today. Oh, well, this deal is 20% less than what it was worth a year ago or a year and a half ago. But unfortunately, that is at this moment in time, not often enough of a discount to really justify a good buy in our opinion. So we think instead that this is the very early innings of what will be much more exciting opportunity with unfortunately blood in the streets starting to already uh, trickle in. So we're starting to see deals come to market where the sellers are finally readjusting their pricing expectations to meet the market more. And that's going to really untie this bottleneck on transaction activity right now. There's very little deals getting done right now. And I think that's going to pick up over the next 12 to 18 months. And we're going to, and the reason for that is because people are kind of extending and pretending, but there's only going to be so long that people are going to be willing to wait until they finally face the music in regards to deals that have floating rate bridge loans that are maturing or have interest rate caps that are expiring. 
and it's going to create a capital crunch in their balance sheet, whether they're going to have to do a capital call or raise outside equity or debt in order to finance themselves to bridge a gap or to do a cash in refi, just because uh, valuations are lower and and will be lower, making it more difficult to to refi. So, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting things happening on on in the market that's going to create opportunity. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's that's kind of what I think uh, everybody's seeing at this point is there's there are going to be. I mean, it as you mentioned, it really just comes down to the debt. You know, it depends on where you're positioned with if you have. Uh, you know, fixed rate debt with plenty of time to to ride it out, you should be fine. Um, but as you said, that you know, rate caps maturing, bridge debt maturing, all of that is going to cause uh, some headaches uh, along the way. So, what about for for you and in Lone Star Capital? What what is you know kind of how do, how do you see the future? Um, what what are your goals? Where are you looking to head? Well, thankfully, our portfolio is well-positioned, all things considered, to weather the coming storm and and deal with already the interest rate increase challenges that have been occurring. So we're, because of our existing portfolio being relatively well-positioned, we do have the luxury to turn our attention to opportunity. Whereas a lot of groups, unfortunately, are going to end up finding themselves stuck in portfolio and legacy challenges, and that's going to prevent them from being able to be aggressive and take advantage. So we're gearing up for acquisitions. We do recognize that it is a harder environment today to raise capital in, specifically equity. And I think that's only going to get more exacerbated. So I'm anticipating that we're going to have to, like right now, we kind of joke and say that right now we're working twice as hard to raise half as much equity. And I think that it's probably going to double. We're going to work four times as hard to raise half as much or something, right? So we have to be prepared for that. And however, I think the smart money, which thankfully we have a a lot of investors in our network that I would call smart money and are large investors that are capitalized and uh, have the experience and the wherewithal to take advantage of market dislocation. So I think we will be able to raise the equity needed to buy great deals over the next 12 to 18 months. And the thing that's tricky about our business is, you know, sure, we have our internal goals. Uh, For example, next year, uh, we'd like to acquire 300 million in assets. However, that is largely dictated by the market, we have to take what the defense is giving us, and forcing a deal is the is the worst deal, right? I always say that the best deal you do is the one you don't do, right? Because no matter how good of a deal you can do, the best thing you can do is actually avoiding a bad one. Uh, because we all in this business work so hard to build our reputations and to protect them. And unfortunately, only one moment or one deal can really unravel that, uh, all that effort and and brand equity, personal equity. So that is, uh, that's, that's the goal for the next uh, 12 months or so. Yeah, uh, it's a fantastic point. I mean, you know, these are, these are investors that, that you know, they've worked hard for their for their capital that they're trusting you with and and ultimately 
what you want is to have them have, you know, an excellent experience and, and continue to invest with you in the future. So, as you, you know, again, it's that it goes back to that delayed gratification or the long term picture of all this where it's like it, you if you don't if you have a goal of 300 million in acquisitions and you don't get there because those opportunities aren't there. OK, right. That you just keep you know kind of carry it forward that'll mean that you're better positioned to do that in the future so i think uh it's, it's a great outlook um well that's great rob let me let me switch gears here i want to ask you the questions i ask every guest um first one being based on the name of the show um what is your why you know kind of what what drives you forward we've heard a bit of your story uh you're obviously very successful already what what kind of keeps pushing you I think this sounds, I, I don't want to, I don't think this is too cheesy, but I think that for me, I have this natural drive of, of the, the enjoyment is the journey and setting goals and pursuing them is, is really the, uh, the motivating factor or the, the purpose to life. So I don't want to necessarily, I do want to achieve my goals, but I don't want to achieve my goals such that I have arrived. Right. I, I always say that a fool is someone who achieves their goals because you should just be continually re-raising the bar and be in constant pursuit because apathy or complacency is very, um, very unproductive. And that's, that doesn't produce a lot of meaningfulness or, or joy and, and happiness and whatnot. It's actually really interesting. I had this unique thought not too long ago uh, about humility and think like, cause I thought to myself, what is the opposite of complacency? And it's actually humility. And I really love this idea because humility kind of ties everything together. Because if you're humble, you're not necessarily, you don't think too much of your current position. So that motivates you to, to strive for more, but then also being humble is a very just good disposition to be in to receive, right? Because if you're not humble, we all know how that can end up. So I really like, uh, I, I, I really appreciate and value humility. Yeah, I think that's great. I think those are great points. I, um, was it, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get this a little bit wrong, but there's, there was this clip from um, Alex Hermosi talking about just basically exactly what you just talked about in terms of you know, resetting the goals and, and kind of always pushing for more. And he was like, you know, so many people set their goals and, and they want to get to this certain point. But if you think about things like uh, marriage and business and like, you don't want those to end, right? You don't. So, so the, the goal shouldn't be finishing. The goal is to continue doing well at them. So it's kind of like keeping that, you know, just, just like you said, like keeping, you should never reach that goal because once you get close, you're like, well, I can do better than that. So I just keep kind of keep moving that up and then maintaining humility about it. I think, I think is a, a fantastic perspective on it. So uh, I love that. Tell us something about yourself that uh, isn't common knowledge, special skill, a hobby, uh, anything you're, you're comfortable sharing just to let people know you better. Uh, a couple of things come to mind. It's a little bit, uh, I don't know, bittersweet, but I, was classically trained to play piano. So I used to be quite good on the piano, but unfortunately I don't really play at all, which is uh, sad, but hopefully maybe 
by saying this, it kind of nags me a little bit to to get there. Uh, so, yeah, we'll we'll see. I do kind of have this push that maybe I should start playing again. And another push is I actually grew up speaking Russian. So my mom is from Moscow and she moved to California when she was 21. So growing up in a three-generation household, uh, I spoke predominantly Russian. And then after going to you know first grade and, and just American school, I stopped speaking Russian as much and forgot how to read and write. So one of my goals actually is to... Uh, get back on that and learn, uh, relearn how to read and write and and also improve my speaking, which thankfully has been happening a lot because I've been uh, speaking with my uncle about uh, watches. So he's been in the watch business for 40 years and which kind of goes back to my family's heritage a bit in Russia. And so uh, for those that also you know want to get to know me better, watches are a big passion of mine. So I spent a lot of time uh, in kind of the watch world as far as collecting and uh, working on uh, kind of some some fun projects on that side of things. So talking a lot about watches in Russian. That's awesome. I, um, this is, I, well, first of all, I want to learn to play piano. And I'm sure if you were classically trained, you you could pick it right back up if you wanted to. That's all, that's like, we, it's a funny story. We have a piano. Nobody in my house can play it. But I so badly want to learn how to play that I, I, there was this uh, school was having a sale and I was like, uh, all the proceeds went to charity. I'm like, I'm getting us a piano. So we, we have a piano um, and someday I will learn to play it. But uh, also I, I, I'm sure I am not good at it anymore. But I took Russian in high school. That was my language for whatever reason. We were like the one high school that had a Russian teacher as one of the options. So that that's very funny. But I, I think um, those uh, like having had those skills at at a young age, I think it'd be very easy to sort of pick them back up. And then speaking with your uncle, and that, that's that's great. I love it. Um, <clears throat> when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way to get in touch? Yeah, the best way to learn more and get in touch is to go to our website. Uh, that's lscre.com. That just stands for Lone Star Capital Real Estate. So head over to lscre.com to learn more about what we have going on. And if you want to get in touch with me, uh, there's, a, there's a form on the website to get in touch. And if you want to speak to me specifically, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can connect with me on LinkedIn and I post daily uh, kind of snippets from our podcast and whatever else is going on with us. And we'll put all that in the show notes. Um, final question for you, Rob, what piece of advice would you give to someone who wants to get started in real estate? They hear this, they hear your story, they're interested. Uh, what would you tell them to kind of get them going? Yeah, I'm going to tie it back into our discussion about the first deal and kind of having patience and stuff like that, seeing the bigger picture. What happens for most people when they discover the strategy and the paradigm and everything, they get very excited and they want to rush and do their first deal ASAP. And while I agree that speed is important and getting your first deal is critical, like we talked about, because after you get that first deal, you're over that that hump and you're no longer a first timer and you can then build your track record. However, you do want to be not necessarily patient, but you want to be very protective of your reputation, of your capital, of your efforts. So you want to make sure that the first deal you do is right and you don't rush and do the first deal that you see or partner with the first person that you meet. You want to take your time to really learn 
And then it's all about people. So you need to really learn to be patient and vet who your potential partners are before you jump into business. Yeah, I think that's great. The the urgency, but uh, but don't rush it. You you've got to you want to make smart decisions. Um, well, Rob, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time out today. Uh, I enjoyed this. I think people will get get a lot out of it, and um, definitely we'll have in the show notes. Um, so they can connect with you. But uh, I appreciate you taking the time out. Thank you very much. My pleasure. It was a great show. I enjoyed it. Awesome. And folks listening, I know you're going to get a lot of value out of uh, hearing from Rob Beardsley today. Please like, rate, and review the show so we can get more great guests like him. And thank you all for listening. Hey there. I am Dr. Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast, where we explore the why behind success. Every week, I meet with real estate investors, veterinary entrepreneurs, mindset coaches, authors, and fitness professionals to uncover their why and how it drives them on the winding road to success. What is your why?